Hello, and welcome to the show. This is Refigure. Re. The weekly podcast for arts, culture, tech, and diversity. I'm Reefa. And I am Christopher. On today's show, we're going to be talking about Ryan Johnson's new whodunit mystery film, Knives Out. The Ensemble cast. Ensemble. 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 Daniel Craig's in it, Jamie Lee Curtis, even Don Johnson's in it. Mm. And we're also going to be talking about David Attenborough's latest big budget nature show for the BBC, Seven Continents, Continents, <laughs> and One Planet. You know, he's like 93 now or something, so it's probably Seven Incontinents, One Planet. <laughs> That's really rude. Oh, how are you, Aoife? I'm very well. I'm excited for the Christmas. The Christmas is the coming. And uh, all good things are happening in the world. People have been absolutely starved of this podcast. They've been really patient waiting for this episode. Why has it been so long? I don't know. One of us uh, couldn't do the podcast. <laughs> I forgot to do it. Crack on. <laughs> So we went to the cinema and we saw Knives Out. It's been pretty acclaimed. It's getting lots of attention. It is a classic kind of country house mystery whodunit type film in the style of Agatha Christie, I guess, or those sort of things, a bit Sherlock Holmesy. except that it's set in the modern world. It's American and it's made by Ryan Johnson, who is most famous at the moment for his endeavours in the Star Wars universe. But if you go back to the in beginning of his career, we both loved Brick, didn't we? Which was one of his early, was, I think maybe was his first big film. Who is that guy? Uh, Mr. Blanc is a private investigator of great renown. I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. You're famous. It's a whodunit. Um, we went to the pictures to see it. Did you? What did you think of Knives Out, Reefer? Brick is one of my favourite films of all time. And the thing that I love about it is that you've got these characters that are played by young people, they're teenagers, in a world that's like a film noir. And it's a, it's a classic murder mystery. Um, and everybody's playing it really super serious. Now, in this particular film, Knives Out, the characters are, well, it kind of can't decide what sort of film it is, and I think that's part of his shtick, anyway, the director, is that um, you've got these quite camp characters, like everybody's playing a kind of caricature or a character like Includo, for example. So sometimes it's high camp, and people are all having dramas all the time, but other times it's a bit disconnected, and it feels like... They don't know whether to play it serious, play it like farce, or whether they're going to play it like a melodrama. And the main character, the young woman in it, she play, she can't stop crying the whole way through. And she's having this other sort of almost like a, another film's happening at the same time about her and her family situation and being the kind of servant or the maid or something in it, if it would have been an Agatha Christie, but she's actually the, the care worker. Um, it's all a bit disconnected for me it starts off introducing all the characters all at once and there's no real chemistry it reminded me a bit of that series we tried to watch with when i tell you what it is if it's right i was about to say it but almost in a positive thing did it remind you of john malkovich playing poirot 
No, it reminded me of that thing with all those characters and they, they've been um, kidnapped and they've got superpowers. Not kidnapped, but they've been fostered. They were all born at the same time. Do you mean um, Sense8? Recently. Oh. With that girl out of... Oh, the, um, yeah, yes. I can't remember what it's called. Well, it was shit. Yeah, it was, that was dreadful. With, um... It's still called the Umbrella Academy. Oh, yeah. The Umbrella Academy. Oh, yeah, the Umbrella Academy. The Umbrella Academy. God, that was terrible. And it's like you're supposed to feel sympathy for all of these characters, but it's not... Knives Out isn't funny enough for me, and it can't decide whether it's supposed to be a comedy, whether it's supposed to be a real proper thriller. The awful thing for me, the cheesy awful thing that happened was the director comes on before the film's even started to just to tell you all, don't tell anybody, the spoiler, don't spoil it for everybody because the ending's so clever. And so the whole way through, I'm waiting for this super clever thing, like maybe they're all aliens and turn each other inside out, or, you know. It's a fine film, five out of ten. Without giving away what the ending is, was the ending not enough for you for what he'd done no. at, in front? Because he obviously comes on and does proper piece to camera. I don't know that. I don't know. Like in Agatha Christie, you get all or any of those sorts. They're all related. Uh, he's his long lost daughter. Um, <laughs> somebody else does something. But I actually found it fairly pedestrian and predictable. I think I enjoyed it a lot more than you. Then, although. I did have this sense that I was very slightly underwhelmed by how it developed as it went along. I really enjoyed a kind of, um, like for for some of it, I almost felt like he was snarking at something like Downton Abbey, where he was riffing on the upstairs, downstairs type thing, but placing it in modern America. So he was making some points about race and class in modern America, but he was doing that quite gently, but also in a really interesting, fun way. I didn't have the same problems you did with the characters where they were played on the edge of camp. I thought that was part of it. I thought that worked. Um, Daniel Craig like plays the detective with, with a kind of Texan Southern drawl, and it does sound quite loose and all over the shop. But at the same time, that's what those detectives do. They like put on a performance when they're faced with the suspects like it is a performance within a performance i didn't mind that at all no, but that's what i'm saying either you turn it right up and they're, they're all playing like that or you don't do you know what i mean it's like yeah it was and, like they didn't fully commit to that um <laughs> uh, i i agree with you that the having the director come on before the film starts and say there's a big twist <laughs> don't tell anyone the twist when you when you um go out the cinema did mean I agree that I was waiting for things and I was like trying to second guess all the way through and that was partly my fault because part of the reason we went to it is I remember you really loving classic whodunit novels and whodunit films in the past it did remind me of John Malkovich playing Poirot in the atmosphere of it so I think I give it a better score than you did one thing though, what about seeing it in the cinema because should we have waited and just seen it I I would have quite, there's nothing, there's no no reason to go and see it at the cinema. <laughs> um, I just want to say that um, Knives Out has got Lakeith Stanfield in it and he plays a very small part as one of the detectives, right? One of the typical detectives that is like bringing in this expert to help solve the crime. But all of that doesn't seem particularly helpful. Now, if you've seen him in Sorry to Bother You, that is a bloody twist, right? That you don't see coming at the end. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, okay, so... 
Reefer didn't like it half as much as I did. I've got it in my top ten of the year at the moment, but that's because I haven't seen a load of the important films of the year yet. And I've ended this year slightly frustrated about the great films that I want to see that I haven't seen. I haven't seen Parasite. We haven't seen Parasite. We haven't seen The Farewell. We haven't seen Souvenir. We haven't even seen um, Summer, whatever it is, the Wicker Man-style horror film. We haven't seen that one. So we're kind of behind on cinema a little bit. But that doesn't matter. It's okay. Knives Out, really fun. Ryan Johnson's definitely got a... You know, he's fine. Even if we don't particularly like it. So, next thing we're talking about is David Attenborough's nature show Seven Continents, One Planet on the BBC at the moment, on the iPlayer, we watched it. This is the story of those seven worlds. We will see how life developed on each continent and so gave rise to the extraordinary and wonderful diversity we know today. And we will see why this precious diversity is being lost. I really enjoy watching these sorts of things because um, when they ran the series before, what was that called? Was that Blue Planet 2 was the last one? Mm, so I don't know. Something Planet anyway. Big Planet. Planet Planet X. Planet Atom Earth. I think it was Planet Earth. Oh, you're right. It was Planet Earth. Planet Earth. They had this scene in it that people went absolutely batshit crazy for on the internet where there was a lizard being chased by a bunch of snakes. Yeah, a bunch of snakes chasing this lizard. And everybody was rooting for the lizard and it was all a lot of peril. So they've shoved in loads and loads of peril and fight scenes and quite a lot of um, sad stuff in this series. Because guess what, folks? The world is going to shit. What did you think about this? Well, I know you enjoyed it a lot and I also got a lot from it. But I've got some really big criticisms now. Uh-oh. For the first time and a bit David Attenborough, put your fingers in your ears. <laughs> about these shows. <laughs> and I think what happened for me this time was my suspension of disbelief fell apart. Well, you didn't believe the animals. No, it's not that. <laughs> so they've got everything going for them. They've got enormous budgets. They've got the best nature, wildlife, film crews in the world, going around the world, spending months and months and months to get like four minutes of footage they get to see things that we don't get to see on any other in any other way. We'd never get to see it in the real world. So they've got this huge advantage, plus they've got this mainstream gravitas of David Attenborough and the history of those programmes. They've got this incredible archive to dot back to if they need to. So they've got all this huge advantage. But for me, despite all that was good about this series, the script was dog shit, really bad, really poor script writing. He does that thing now where, of course, he's too elderly to go out and do loads of the stuff. So they'll take him to one or two or three key locations where he'll do a beautiful, just a piece to camera suddenly in the middle. But now those are so few and far between that they jar out as a thing. So one of the things he does near the end of the series, which was in some ways profoundly moving, but also jarred because he hadn't been present that much, was the bit with the two last remaining northern white rhinos. There's two females that survive of this species. There's no living male, so effectively they're extinct, completely extinct, unless scientists can 
work out a way to artificially breed some more. And so you suddenly get Attenborough himself on camera patting these last two rhinoceroses. And did I say dinosaurs? What did I say? <laughs> what the fucking animal did I say? Anyway, Rhino. rhinos. They're, they're old. White rhino. They're one subspecies of rhino and they're almost gone. But because he put himself or they put him in that frame patting it, instead of thinking that was really moving, which it was, there was a level of being really impacted by quite how devastating the loss of a species like that is. I'm just thinking, oh, suddenly they've flown him into a wildlife park. Well done. And then his script is so mainstream, so soft, so universal. It talks about climate change, but it's really careful not to say anything too edgy. And then the other stuff has become tropes, left, right and centre. Every continent they go to, every wildlife area they go to, this is the most such and such of this thing, or these are the species that do biggest here. Or It's all kind of bland, universalist hyperbole. And then it's the same stories over and over. Like you mentioned, there was too many bears, right? We love bears. <laughs> They've clearly clocked that bears have got an audience. So Penguins. suddenly... Every episode's got a different fucking subset of bears. <laughs> and every time it's a mum bear with two cubs and then the male bear shows up and he's hungry and he might eat her cubs. So they run up a tree and then maybe they come down the tree too. I mean, we saw that exact same set of images at least twice with different species of bear, which is fine. I just want to see the same amazing budgets, the same amazing footage. You could take the same raw footage that these people have achieved getting which is a wonder and you could make far more interesting tv now there were some absolutely standout emotional brilliant moving funny bits in it as there always are but for example now the most interesting bit of the show is that bit they add on at the end the kind of dvd extra bit where the crew shows you a bit of how they're achieving it and i think we need a show that that merges those two that merges we see the crew we get a better impression of how long it takes. Also, too many of the examples weren't normal behaviour. It's like, oh, this is a very unusual solution that these polar bears have got where they're eating really big dolphin things. I don't know. Spoiler. Spoiler. They're claiming to create a thing saying how bad climate change is, and then they keep showing us the outlier solutions, the very few examples of animals that have found an innovative way around it, and that actually creates the opposite impression. You come away thinking, oh, it's going to be okay, because look, at least those polar bears will survive. The most devastating scene was the walruses. There are thousands of walruses that have been kind of herded by climate change onto very small beach spaces, where in the past they would have had lots more space. And so this beach becomes really crowded with walruses, and so a bunch of them climb up away from the beach and end up effectively on the cliff. And then when the polar bears show up, you actually see walruses panicking, climbing, trying to climb back down and falling in numbers off a cliff. And a walrus is a big fucking thing. And it was incredibly upsetting and incredibly powerful. And what I then really needed was that shown as being, this is not natural. This is sh only happens because of the changing climate. And then also I want to see the film crew. Because if there was one scene in the whole series where you know that behind the lens, that film crew was utterly devastated by that scene. And they did show us lots of film crew being all upset. Like they got some, they accidentally stumbled on some elephant poachers. And that was a quite a moving scene as well. But I want to see the people who had to film a bunch of fucking walruses fall off a cliff. I want to see them 
because they're the ones who've seen something that climate change has directly impacted. So anyway, I'm really sorry that was too much. And it is a fantastic series. I'm not saying don't watch it, but I got so angry so often with the bland script and the poor writing and the poor choice of things. One of my favourite scenes was about a tiny, tiny frog, which was the size of your size of your thumbnail that has to like <laughs> feed its tadpole, which was an ugly, ugly tadpole. But anyway, that's my favourite bit in it. I quite enjoy it because Chris lets me talk all the way through it. <laughs> it's good background television. What's next, Chris? What are you reading for? What are you reading for? What are you reading, Reefer, in the last few days before Crimble Tide? Before the Winter Festival, <laughs> I got um, this really fun book. Okay, it's not really a reading book, it's a workbook to help plan your year. Written by a coach called Leonie Dawson, and I've only just discovered her work, and she's been doing these workbooks called My Shining Year business goals workbook and you can fill it in with all your personal stuff so it's a much more fun work planning thing and it's got I've just opened it at random it says there's a little poster in there that says create a vision that makes you want to jump out of bed in the morning and it's basically for entrepreneurs mostly female entrepreneurs who want to plan their year and so it's like business planning what you need to sort out for your team what you need to sort out for your legal systems but it's done in a really fun way and it really appeals to me because it's bright and colorful and it's lots of um, things for me to fill in and the goals that I've got, 100 things that I want to do in 2020. I'm just working through it at the moment so that I can get stuff done in 2020. So that's called 2020 My Shining Year Business Goals Workbook by Leonie Dawson. What are you reading? I'm going to recommend something I rediscovered that I read early this year and didn't um, mention on the podcast because I've been trying to figure out Christmas gifts for people and this book keeps popping up in my head as a perfect gift for different people. It's a poetry book um, by a Brighton poet called John McCulloch and it's called Reckless Paper Birds, published by Pen in the Margins. And it's queer male poetry, very beautiful. I'm not going to read one. Edgy with loads of kind of contemporary notes and references, but quite classic, I'd say, styled poetry. And it's I love it and I've bought I've actually just bought two of them so I bought two more copies to give to people as gifts because I know different kinds of people will absolutely love it so that's John McCulloch Reckless Paper Birds published by Pen in the Margins very nice Chris um I have something to plug plug away plug away unplug unplug your plug so, Do you know bears? Oh my goodness! When bears, Who's bears? Hi- don't call me bears. You know, <laughs> not bears. Uh, bears when they hibernate. Oh, Do you know that bears when they hibernate? Oh, I know too much about bears. They make a butt plug out of poop, and they this stick it up their bum so that they won't poop themselves while they're hibernating. The <laughs> inappropriate. You won't see that on David Attenborough's latest program. No, oh, but you see a lot more icky stuff. You do. Okay, I'm going to plug my awesome 30-day meditation challenge, which is absolutely free. You can sign up for it, and every day in 
January, I will send you a message that gives you a new meditation or new task to do every day in January and it'll keep you on track. So it's the 30 day meditation challenge, but also you get a free downloadable calendar that you can put on your desktop or print out to keep you on track. So if you wanna sign up for that, you need to go to MailChimp, which is M-A-I-L-C-H dot M-P slash refigure slash B hyphen more hyphen U. So that's mailch.mp slash refigure slash b hyphen more hyphen u. Be more you. Be more you. Is that your brand for it? That's really cool. It's because David Lynch says meditation makes you become more and more you. It's That's become really more good. You. That sounds really fun. That sounds it's like fun. you're giving everyone else a chance to live like I live all the time with the real you every day. It's really nice. I'm really enjoying writing my regular email, which I'm now doing, which is kind of like an email zine. It's called The Border Crossing, doing the most weeks. You can sign up for that at lofiarts.substack.com. That's lofiarts.substack.com. Or just check on our usual Twitter, Insta feeds, and find me, and there's a link to the email there and we have a facebook and we have a twitter yeah let's do those go on what are they so find us on facebook at facebook.com slash refigure pod find us on twitter at refigure pod and find us on instagram at refigure uk fabulous thanks very much for listening have a wonderful winter what we'll be back before christmas definitely definitely oh yeah oh we got to do something before Christmas. Well, have Christmas. a nice w- rest of your week. Cheerio. Cheerio. Bye-bye.